I decline to walk the line. They tell me that I'm lazy. Worldly wise, I realize. Hey, Joe. Yeah, yes, Scott. My life is boiling over. It's happened once before. I wish someone would open up the door. Yeah. To steal it in the dam. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, shit, am I supposed to, even though we've done this yeah. many times before, I'm always like, I'm supposed to do something with this part. <laughs> I'm always like, what if I don't remember the lyric? I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> no, we're all good. Uh, no, I was actually stalling because I forgot what episode number we're on. Uh, because, partly because of our crazy numbering scheme and partly because it's been a while since we sat down together. Yeah, once again, uh, yeah, it's been about a month since our last record. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think we're recording our eighth episode, which may be episode seven. or But it might be our ninth episode. Okay, we're recording we, our eighth episode. We have episode. confirmation from producer Dakota that that is the case. Thank Christ. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get back to basics. Uh, I, myself, am Scott Beckett, for those of you who have not heard from me in a while. And and I'm I'm Joe McElhaney. And, and with us, uh, as always, is the um, the constant, the esteemable, <laughs> the uh, the ever accurate, the record keeper, uh, Dakota. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> wow. Good day to you, sir. He sounds very esteemable. Yeah. Um, uh, Dakota, we just learned is learning how to play piano, so I'm especially interested to hear his take on uh, maybe the most piano-heavy song on the album, or easily, I guess, the the most piano-centric. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what you, what'd you think of Fire in the Hole? Yeah. I thought it started off badass. Yeah? Like, I wanted it to be my wrestling entrance theme. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but it gets, like, real cool and mellow, but, like, the, yeah. up front you would know I was dangerous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool, yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah. So, uh, as we said, we are here to talk about, uh, so if this is episode seven then this must be track seven uh on uh on camp i thrill from 1973 the singles dropped in 72 the album dropped in 73 Uh, it's all coming back to me after a month okay yeah that sounds right (laughs) (laughs) i have have 72 lodged in my head but that's yeah i think i think the singles dropped in 72 and the album dropped in 73 but i could be wrong all right it's okay we nope. only do a steely bin. Nobody fact-checked any of this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but either way, we're definitely here to talk about uh, Fire in the Hole, which I believe is uh, is track seven. And uh, uh, the last time uh, that we spoke with you, um, uh, we assigned each other uh, a couple of things related to um, uh, Fire in the Hole. Uh, in this case, uh, my pick was Fiona Apple's uh, song On the Bound from the album When the Pawn and then... Uh, oh, the I official... thought you were going to do it just free, <laughs> I should have pulled it up. Um, uh, go back and listen to uh, the last episode if you want to hear me read the entire album title. Uh, but it is uh, When the Pawn from 1999, uh, the track On the Bound, and Joe's pick... Uh, was the 2004 uh, French film Kings and Queen... Do you do you you're the uh, you're our French titles guy? What's the French title? The French yeah the French in French it is uh, roi et reine. It's a tough one because you got to get those R's, which like I don't know. That's when I get real some self conscious about my French accent. Yeah, I was just like Roy's and Rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, let's let's dive in. It. Let's get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Dakota was kind enough to uh, to kick us off, but um, uh, uh, any sort of uh, uh, quickly, uh, we've talked about in the past, like our sort of arc, uh, our experiential arc with a song. Uh, but I think perhaps uh, like a couple of the other songs we've done, this was never a radio single, so it may be something that we both only yeah. came to recently. Um, I did find out it is the B side to do it again. Oh, cool. Um, which. That's that's kind of cool. Like that that yeah. feels feels like a good pairing. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, this is, I would put this in kind of the midnight cruiser sleeper slot for me where it's like, where my appreciation for it has, has gone up uh, with serious study. Yeah, likewise, um, yeah. I think the, uh, yeah, uh, as I said before, the, the piano in the song is uh, something that's there. There's that, that um, breakdown after the second chorus is maybe one of the best passages on the album, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, quality. This is like an emerging theme, at least for me on the podcast, is like this this quality that Steely Dan has where they can kind of slip by and sound like easy listening or soft rock. And this like maybe more than any other song. Um, and I think like as I as we've been, you know, like talking about uh, the band and, and that phenomenon and stuff. And I, it's like it's funny, like I think this explains the disparity between like crazy Steely Dan fans and people who casually know Steely Dan, hmm. like people who casually know Steely Dan wonder what the crazy Steely Dan fans are getting on about. And the Steely Dan fans are wondering how you could possibly listen to this record and not have your mind blown. Um, and but you know, I mean, like li- sort of living that experience as we've like undertaken this project has been has has been illuminating for me. But, but this song especially, it's like when you listen with a hard ear, you're like, wow, this thing's like really crazy. But like for all the other times that I've spun "Can't Buy a Thrill," this song pretty much I had like almost no memory of it. Right. Yeah, I think I I never really thought about this before, but. Um maybe part of it for me is that um i have more of like a guitar bias like piano songs to yes. me until i until i got into jazz when i was a little older um mm-hmm. uh harder to latch on and and um i don't always think of it as as the rock and roll instrument that you know anybody who's listened to jerry lee lewis or little richard knows it is but uh yeah yeah this uh this song i like dakota said the songs the song's badass. Yeah, I know. It's funny. And I, because I, I remember, um, I think I told you offline uh, a while back, that I had been like casting around for any podcast I could find about Celia Dan. And there's a lot of one offs. There's, I, I, the, the, um, any major dudette would tell you is the only like dedicated Steely Dan podcast that I've found. And they only have three episodes. And the last one is from months ago. So I think we've got them defeated. Um, uh, but no, seriously, if, if, if for whatever reason you ladies come across this podcast, we'd love for you guys to do more work, or I would anyway. Um, but there's a lot of uh, one-offs, like uh, podcasts where somebody, like a group of people will listen to an album and then and discuss it. Um, uh, but anyway, like as I was going through uh, all the podcasts I could find, I found an interview with Donald Fagan from, by somebody with from, uh, from Rolling Stone. I think it was like shortly after Walter Becker had passed. Um, but one of the things that came up in the interview was uh, it may have even been specifically the song or maybe but it may have just been like the fact that he played piano in general and he didn't take a lot of solos. And he always like he said in the interview, like he didn't think that piano like featured very well in rock and roll, which is why mm-hmm. he didn't do it more. But it's like. I guess, like, on the one hand, as a new fan of this song, having, like, sat down and listened to it, I'm like, no, no, that's not true. You should play way more piano solos. But the fact that it took me, like, assigning myself the homework of really understanding the song to get to that view maybe maybe shows that he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also, I mean, this is, uh, the the piano style in the song is very much, like, ragtime influence. Yeah. Which, uh I mean, I guess it's proto rock and roll sort of, but um, if you if you were to tell me like, hey, this this is this really cool song, uh, you know, it's got like Jelly Roll Morton influence. I I don't know that I would be like, oh, cool. Um, I would think it's going to sound like Scott Joplin or something. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, that plus like I don't also like it, it's the same as like um, we'll never know what it sounded like to hear the Beatles for the first time, like in a world that wasn't influenced by the Beatles. Like at this point, I don't think I could I don't think I could bring myself back to like listening to a Steely Dan song without knowing a lot about Steely Dan. Like I feel like my ear is pretty well tuned to Steely Dan now. So it's like I, I really have like no idea what this song sounds like to like Dakota, you know? Yeah, it's totally possible that like if you just if I had never heard a Steely Dan song and you played me this, I would be like, it sounds old and weird and I'm not that interested. Yeah. It's <laughs> Good. OK, so maybe I'm wrong. I would be, love to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, um. I guess the song, something that I found out like in in researching a little bit, is that this is like an older song of theirs. Oh, like, cool! Kind of, I think, um, like back in the Dallas times, or like they had written this like way back in New York. Yeah, I think that this was um, uh, kind of what they thought the band would be, or what what they thought they were going to do as. Um, not obviously, obviously they thought they were going to do some like I mean to shine kind of stuff. But this <laughs> is, I think, what they thought. Um, they did best i guess mm-hmm. um i i i think um i found this interview with denny diaz uh, right before they released countdown or or recorded it i guess mm-hmm. um where he said that fire in the hole and turn that heartbeat over again which are both old songs he was like that's going to be the uh the bone of the tone of the next album <laughs> which i love i love the language of that but uh yeah um and gary katz says that like he barely goes back to the old records but right fire in the hole one of his favorites he says um it captured the essence of the song i mean whatever that song was meant to mean we got it on tape and it felt that when it was done and and it felt that way when it was done it was nasty interest i keep returning to what does that mean like i know um nasty interest yeah it's like is that like uh like interest is in like curiosity or interest is in like financial interest <laughs> I, I don't know like I have no idea. Yeah. It seems like, I don't know, there is something, um, there is something nasty about the song. There's yeah. something nasty about that piano mm-hmm. uh, in the in the good sense of the word. I do buy the argument that, like, it's a fully realized song. Like, it it feels like you know, whatever they had in their mind, they got it on tape. Yeah. it's It doesn't, I, I think, um, like, when we talk about turn that heartbeat over, or not turn that heartbeat over again, change of the guard, mm-hmm. I think there's something compromised feeling about that song. Yeah. Uh, a little preview of my take on that one, but... Yeah. Um, or, or dirty work, even. Um, uh, this song feels... I mean, it's a it's a throwback to ragtime. Right. <laughs> like, nobody wanted that in uh, a mainstream rock and roll record in, in 1972 or 73. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about, like, the whole story of this band is them starting out as a five-piece band and then, like, firing every regular member except for Donald and Walter and then bringing in studio musicians solely because, like, they felt like they were writing a lot of songs that they weren't, like, that the the outfits that they had put together, the, the band as it was, especially when they were recording this album, like, they weren't capable of doing what they wanted to do. And, like, including Donald and Walter, right? Like, they all they br- they brought in players that were much better than than their technical skill. Yeah. Um, but this is one where, like, right, their ability matched their vision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's not super obvious on this song, like, I, I don't think is the... Um, the pedal steel which oh, i feel yeah, like, yeah. like this week and next week we'll have lots of opportunity to talk about pedal steel but which, like which here it's uh, skunk baxter i believe right? yeah, yeah yeah and like yeah i mean apparently i mean based on what i 
<laughs> my limited experience with pedal steel players. Like he seems like a pretty good pedal steel player. Yeah, yeah. It adds something. I mean, the core of the song is is the piano, and then uh, Becker's kind of like pulsing bass, right? And then uh, hotter on the drums. Yeah. Um, I think it's easy to underrate once, as always. It's <laughs> it's easy to underrate a rhythm section. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. You, you don't notice them until they're gone. And then with this pedal steel as kind of the color element throughout until the the mm-hmm. end when there's kind of a the final solo outro to the song is is a showcase for for Baxter's chops there. Yeah, and like something I've had on my to do list for a while. Like one of the podcasts I listened to was like some like real musicians. I think it was like engineers and stuff, like studio guys, um, talking about this album. And you know, the the pedal steel came up, and uh, one of the guys I think was like more of a punk hardcore guy was saying like, "Yeah, that's really weird." And then this other guy was like, "No, that's actually not that weird because what the things that a pedal steel is capable of, like the chords you can play and stuff, like you can play some weird jazz chords." So it's actually. Like, he was like, there's this whole genre, um, Western swing, that is, mm-hmm. like, country Western music, but, like, fairly jazzed up. Yeah. It's like, I kind of meant to, like, deep dive uh, into that, or, you know, just see what I could find, but I, I, I never did get around to it. But I thought that was, that like, that makes sense then, that, like, why they would have a pedal steel, because, like, it's a unique sound, but you can do jazzy things with it. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the lyrics? At sure, all? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, uh-huh. I, yeah, because I would say, like, I think we, like, for my sake for sure and it, i think maybe you were saying a little bit like uh i w- struggled a little bit i was i was very glad when i came up with my like textural um idea off of this is of fiona apple just like right. this song is so piano driven it reminds me of fiona apple song because i still don't feel confident about like what this song is about and right. like i did like nothing like nothing like no like story wise the story of this song didn't suggest to me any other stories that i uh that i was familiar with yeah, I, so, I mean, I I mentioned this that um, originally I had the idea in my head that this song was about like a mental patient. Yeah, um, which is um, why I ended up choosing what I what I chose. Right. I, I think I can still justify it. I moved away from that reading. I've yeah. seen people say it's about draft dodging or uh, holding in a fart, even. <laughs> 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 oh man well that would play out because I, I think I, another thing I think I told you offline was like in one of the interviews um, I think it was Walter uh, there's an interview with Walter like there's this one interview from like the mid 2000s where he's just like shockingly um, up front all of a sudden and he said like we just always did the thing that we thought was the funniest right so that would so the fart thing maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. about farts a very like serious ragtime song about trying to hold it a fart yeah I, I mean I think um, beyond like trying to lock down like a specific story for the song, it's kind of about um, being on that verge of having a crack up, maybe, or like yeah. you're you're not sure how sane you are until you realize like oh shit, my life is falling apart. Like you think like right. uh, maybe I'm holding it together, and then um, I don't know. I read the chorus as like there's fire in the hole, like you're you've got this chaos in your mind and there's no way out. Like mm-hmm. you're, you realize like shit I'm trapped and there's nobody that can open the door and let me out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that may be me projecting on the song, but uh, that's, that's kind of how I read it now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like the obvious themes are, are, are like doubt and pressure, like you said, but yeah, I'm not like, it, it's it, like a straightforward narrative does not emerge for me, but yeah. Um, um I mean, there are some lines that I still I still don't know what to do with. Um, yeah, 
what do, what do you make of a woman's voice reminds me to serve and not to speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like no idea. Um, like I feel like, uh, uh, yeah, a woman's voice reminds me to serve and not to speak. Am I myself or just another? I like honestly, yeah. I got nothing. Like it sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it, especially like in that shift, like the way because like that like it. And uh, yeah, like that. There's that shift from like the the vamp to like the more sort of like elided line. Yeah, um, I mean the the following line makes sense to me, where it it could be like, you know, that that feeling of when you think you're a nonconformist, but mm-hmm. you realize like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm just doing the hippie thing like everybody else, or doing right. the punk thing like everybody else. Right. Um, obviously, this song predates punk, but. Um, uh, I don't know. A woman's voice reminds me of certain not to speak. I, I could be mother's voice in the head. Um, when I was originally thinking about doing one flew over the cuckoo's nest is my choice. I was thinking like nurse ratchet, nurse ratchet. you know, which obviously, I mean, the book maybe predates this, but the uh, movie does not. Right. Um, yeah. That, and then the other line that for me is a, is a mystery is work around my yellow stripe. Right. Um, which, the only thing I can make of that is kind of there. There is this, um, like in the the opening line, I decline to walk the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking of it as kind of like an extended metaphor about like kind of walking on the road of your life, mm-hmm. and you're, he's kind of just dancing around progress, dancing around moving forward, and doing what's expected of him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I don't know. That's how I take it. Yeah, I guess like the only other thing I was thinking was like yellow stripe just being like a um a metaphor for um cowardice. Yeah, right. A, a good uh, kind of a double entendre. Right. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like work around my yellow stripe it means like I get over my cowardice and decide to do something for once. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like I was thinking I was like a woman's voice reminds me to serve and not speak like and then the next line am I myself or just another freak? Like it does seem like maybe it's just like both things are like being caught up with like am I just being am I being too self-centered? Mm. like i'm freaking out but like am, do i even have a right to freak out like yeah 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 i could see that yeah uh, that's relatable yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah um yeah it's cool um yeah i was gonna say that that whole second verse like always kind of like uh catches in my ear the work around my yellow stride should i hide and eat my pride or wait until it's good and ripe that's yeah. a good like uh couplet <laughs> yeah and and maybe um some uh fuel for the the fart Fart truthers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then just cause we hinted at it, like the, that shift that the song does like in the middle of the verse between this, like very like stiff, like staccato piano. And then into like the elided lines. Um, it's something I noticed, like the, the song does several times, including like, and then it does it again in the solo. It's like, it's like shifting between this, like very like rigid, uh, sharp, acute thing. And then this like, like smooth kind of, uh, 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 sentimental thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah the kind of um, the dynamic of the song is is like pretty it, it, highly dynamic. It is a highly dynamic song in lots of ways, like emotionally and uh, yeah. Know. That that the solo kind of um, the big solo kind of breaks down into maybe like three movements where it starts off like just uh, very chaotic and um, uh, herky jerk kind of um, lots of lots of notes and like stop and start right um, and then gradually becomes more lyrical as it goes on mm-hmm. and then I, I love one of my favorite like small things in the song is the bass and drums in that kind of last part of the solo where 
they come in and it's like got a little like subtle funk to it right um that that part always gets me a perfect way to end that so well yeah it's almost yeah like you said it's almost like emotional movement it's like the the first part is like uh it's like a guy freaking out and then the second part is like sort of like sinking into a depression or a reverie or something and then Mm -hmm. the last part is like snapping out of that and be like i gotta get my shit together yeah 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 um yeah yeah that's and that we i mean we kind of talked about the um narrative of the solos and do it again so it's kind of cool that the those songs were a and b sides for each other because there there is uh, some kinship there right right yeah, yeah totally good jam yeah hell yeah I'm trying to say i'm gonna reference my notes but i think that's all i've got for this song yeah any other thoughts closing thoughts i think i crammed it all in there yeah <laughs> good deal all right well, uh, well then we'll uh we'll move into uh right into um a a kissing cousin of this song um for some reason, like I, you know, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, um, my routine is I put together a playlist that is, um, especially like, like when you, um, uh, last, it was the last episode when, when we talked about, um, Bob Dylan, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, a, what a, that giant sing song of his that I can't even think like of Rolling Stone, like a Rolling Stone. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, you know, it's like I put together like a playlist that is just like that song, the Steely Dan song of the week, and the next week Steely Dan song, and just yeah. listen to it on a loop whenever I don't have like much to do. So I was like walking around on my lunch break at work, listening to um, Fire in the Hole. Like actually, literally last week. So the the it was like a Rolling Stone, reeling in the years, and. Um, fire in the hole so every time fire in the hole came on i was like man what is this song about what movie am i gonna pick blah 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 blah. and i was like all of a sudden it just like uh came to me i was like this sounds like a fiona apple song uh and uh, i was like never prouder in my life of anything so i picked um (laughs) um, i I went through the album and, and scanned through real quickly just to see like which song i thought sounded most like uh, this one and uh, came up with uh, with track one uh, on the bound um, just because it's like this like heavy like attacking yeah uh, piano delivery. I I think you're onto something with the connection. I, what you just described to me is what I uh, call like um, mixtape logic, where yeah. like um, the it's more of an intuitive connection you make at first, and you're like I don't know. There are a couple sounds in these songs that are good so you mash them together on a mixtape uh, i used to make mixtapes i don't know if you uh oh yeah you did as well yep um you seem like the kind of guy that would <laughs> yeah and uh and then you go back and you listen and you're like wait there's some weird connections that <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize i was making and i think this song uh it's got a lot of commonality with uh fire in the hole both uh tech textural mm-hmm. as you said but also text textual textual and yes. textural you can drop her you can drop or insert that r at will yeah yeah um but yeah yeah um yeah so uh my story with this album i think we even teased it up last week that like this was sort of before your time you never had like much of a relationship with fiona apple yeah i was trying to think and in my head there was just something like she was vaguely controversial figure that i didn't listen to because it you know i was 10 years old and that's girl music you know <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. adult music uh-huh. right whereas yeah like for me like her first album and this album dropped like while i was in high school um and i think i mentioned i mentioned to somebody i don't know if it was you that i said like there was a little bit of like a um georgie porgy vibe to like in my perception in my experience where i was in northern virginia in a school uh, like in high school I felt a little weird about like coming out as a Fiona Apple fan. Like, I mean, if anybody asked, I would tell them, but like, I didn't go around talking about how much I like Fiona Apple. Cause it, it kind of felt like maybe people would suspect you of like just listening that 
to be um, what a friend of mine would have called a sensitive new age guy, a guy yeah. that like sort of played at uh, gay stereotypes in order to attract women, like yeah, to appear yeah. safe or something, you know? Mm. Um, so I was a little awkward about uh, Fiona Apple, but like that said, like I unabashedly um, love Fiona Apple. Um, like my, it fits in. I mean, like my karaoke song forever has been um, uh, stay by Lisa Loeb. That's like one of my favorite songs of all time. Like I'm a, like openly sentimental sap about at least have about I something. have I seen you play that song on guitar and sing it? Uh, no, because I can't play it on guitar. <laughs> I I have a distinct memory of being around a campfire and maybe hearing you sing that song, but I maybe if I, someone else could play it, I think maybe somebody else could play it. There is there's one Lisa Loeb song that's very simple that I can play. Sandalwood, I can play or used to be able to play. It's been a long time now. But anyway, <laughs> the the blankness of my you said Sandalwood like I would know that song. Or Sandalwood, or yeah, everybody <laughs> yeah. knows Sandalwood. No, it's yeah, it's a deep track off of that uh, off of that album. But um, anyway, yeah, all to say like. Like, I unabashedly love Fiona Apple, and, like, even just, like, uh, on my way over here, I was, like, listening to this record again, and, like, I have to restrain myself from singing along with Fiona Apple. Like, mm. it's very emotional music. It's very, like, uh, melodramatic. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, like, and especially, like, so, like... <laughs> Like bonding with this record in high school, it's just like I I can't make any you know it's like I I can't not love this record. I don't know. It's it's beyond me. You know. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, in terms of and, and you're right. I mean, Fiona Apple was. I mean, like she just like yeah, she was this figure that like she was like a darling at first because like she was making music pretty early and then she was a a, a model. She was like a working model when she um, released her first record at like 19 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was everybody's like, wow, look at her. And then, you know, America loves to build people up so that they can tear them down. When she, um, you know, after she gained some notoriety and started touring stuff, people were like, ah, she's a little bit too much, isn't she? Like, ah, she's like eccentric. Like, what could she possibly have to be that uh, torn up about? She's 19. Yeah. Uh, 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 so they started bagging on her, um, and um, the uh, I think um, was it you said or uh, did you? I, I can't remember if you mentioned on the podcast last time the story behind the super long album title, "Win the Pawn." Um, no, because that's something I only found out in my research. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, maybe you should uh, give give that to the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. the The story behind the poem that is the title of the album is. Um, she was on an airplane, I think, or she was stuck somewhere with a magazine and it was, it happened to be spin magazine. And it was the issue after the issue where they ran a profile of her. Um, and so in the letter section, somebody, somebody wrote in to talk about how insufferable they found, uh, Fiona Apple. And so this, the poem that is the, um, the, the title of the album is her reaction to that, mm-hmm. to that letter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she's always been kind of controversial, and then she, you know, had a, a relationship for I think at least a few years with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. A, a fruitful creative collaboration too. Those music videos they made together are incredible. Yeah, exactly. Right, um, and like very like um, again like very like sort of sympathetic souls, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas, like they both almost had the same relationship with the media, where like everybody loved Boogie Nights, and then um, with. Uh, the second one magnolia magnolia everybody was like well that's a bit much and Mm -hmm. in fact if you haven't seen it there's kind of a bizarre video of paul thomas anderson playing the critical reaction to magnolia and um fiona apple playing the film magnolia like embodied uh i gotta (laughs) it's very strange yeah i gotta i gotta we will link that to the uh (laughs) in the show notes and i will watch it because that sounds uh 
sounds like too good to pass up yeah yeah exactly it's it's very strange but anyway so and so they had like kind of a, a tumultuous relationship i think that you know like burned hot and bright and fast you know eventually yeah. they, they parted ways i think they're you know relatively fond of each other now but um but yeah you're right so she had this she was always this sort of like tumultuous character um maybe one of the things she's most famous for which somebody when i brought up we were doing fiona apple somebody brought this up to me that, yeah that uh mtv um uh, music video awards speech where right. she she says the world is bullshit, which we will we will splice into the episode uh, here. So what I want to say is, um, everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bullshit, and you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, I think like I knew about that, and maybe had the uh, criminal video like vaguely in the background of my mind as a kid, but. Yep. Um, and that she had the Guinness Book of World Records for the, for the longest album title. But, um, yeah, you know, other than that, very little awareness of her, her or her music. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like to get into the song, I mean, the song is like highly representative of her career. It's like mostly piano driven. But I think we talked about before, like after you had spun the record a couple of times, like incredibly late 90s production values like sort of these like weird industrial elements mm. uh very like reverby like lots of panning from the left channel to the right channel um and then her i mean like the two yeah, i think her, i think her two signature things are like her songwriting which is like very emotional but also like um the the lyric i mean i could see people thinking that they're like too cute by half or something but like they're very constructed like they're mm-hmm. very written yeah um that so like her songwriting and then just her um, her voice which i think is like nearly singular this like alto she can get pretty high although like not with a ton of strength but like just like like her alto like and like the growly rumble that she can do like on the low end like holy crap yeah she she feels like um a jazz singer for the end of the millennium. Yeah. Like she really, um, she's, she's really got a, a powerful voice, um, for sure. And, and, and can convey an, a lot of, uh, pain and attitude with it. Right. Um, yeah, that it's worth mentioning that the, the producer on the album is, is John Bryan, who, you know, kind of a, a name producer and anybody who, knows john bryan kind of knows like these like whirly gigs and uh um kind of uh balance between like chaos and lushness he he produced the second kanye album oh okay um and he did the music for paul thomas anderson's uh punch drunk love which like i have to feel like after watching the music videos that him and fiona apple did together knowing what little i do of their relationship um it feels like if I'm not going to say influenced by their relationship, but um, definitely influenced by her kind of uh, um, artistic instincts. It feels like, um, you know, he would have been making that or writing that and putting it together around the time that they were dating or at least starting the project. So, yeah, um, that's a movie I really love. I don't, I don't know. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. That's a great. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies that, like, it kind of kills me because, you know, I, I just keep, like, I was so glad Funny People came out because, like, after seeing Punch Drunk Love, it's like, come on, like, I just wish Adam Sandler, like, make whatever goofy movies you want, but just take a couple more swings at serious roles. Yeah, I can't wait for Uncut Gems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the take that uh, Punch Drunk Love is Paul Thomas Anderson's version of Popeye? 
Uh, well, I know that some of the music in it is from Harry Nielsen's. Oh, the, uh, the 80s one with Robin Williams? Yeah. Um, so that Okay, so it almost seems like that must be it then, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that Popeye. It's a blind spot for me. I've been meaning to catch it's, up with it for years. I haven't seen it in forever, but my memories of it are that it's pretty bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's, you know. <laughs> it was a critical, I think it was a critical and a box office flop. Oh, yeah. It was considered a failure for years, but yeah. there are people, a lot of people coming around to it, uh, including Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> a big fan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So that, that makes all the sense in the world that, like, yeah, Punch Drunk Love would be heavily, like, that's him, like, telling some aspect of his relationship with, uh, with Fiona Apple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on the bound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like, so in terms of, like, the story, I mean, pretty much this is just, like, somebody who's, like, at the end of a relationship or just past the end of a relationship, and it's just, like, sort of, like, everything's falling apart, which, you know, is, like, a pretty common theme for her. <laughs> like, uh, I feel like easily two-thirds of her song are about this. Yeah, the the album definitely has the, the theme of her kind of, um, kind of this self-protective cynicism, um, mm-hmm. and then this kind of romantic desire to kind of let go and romantic abandon, um, uh, but she always knows the disastrous com- uh, consequences of it and that catches up with her. Yep. Um, there's that great verse in here where like, um, it's after there's kind of that jazzy verse where she's like, um, you know, uh, I basically I'm the author of my own misery. And yeah. then right after that, it's like kind of this, um, romantic part, like, you know, lay your head on my, oh my lap gosh. or whatever. And then, uh, at you know and the strings come in and it really builds and you're like oh she's she's found peace at last and yep. then it's like uh how does it how does it end um, yeah baby say that it's all gonna be all right i believe and then there's like pause i believe that it is yeah and it's like and then boom. the crazy breakdown yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. It, yeah, because I, I, I was going to call that out as like one of my favorite lines on the song. Because I, I talk about like um, Fagin does this all the time too. These lines that kind of like tumble along and feel like they're almost like falling out of out of place. And that that it's like right, yeah, right at the end of verse two that you're talking about the um, uh, no thing I do, don't do no thing, but bring me more to do. It's true I do imbue myself and uh, imbue my blue into myself. I make it bitter. And then right, and then just as you're thinking like, wow, that's clever. Maybe a little too clever. Like that's you know maybe again like maybe too cute by half. Then she just like rips it open and mm-hmm. just like lets her heart pour out with that babe and like every time that comes up like knowing this record as well as i do i'm just like i like i get it's like i have like if i'm in public i have to be like oh you're around people like don't scream baby really loud yeah <laughs> don't scream baby lay your head on my lap one more time really loud in a crowded place it's got a very different meaning when a man <laughs> yeah 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 uh yeah i think i'm not gonna say that she i don't know like steely dan would never no. have a uh um a line with as much raw need as you're all I need. Yeah. Like, right. Unless they're like singing to like a heroin needle or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, there are, like I said, the, um, I mean, obviously the piano connects to fire in the hole. Yep. It's got the same kind of pulsing bass, mm-hmm. um, and insane, like insane breakdowns. Right. Uh, and the, the similar, the subject matter is similar. Cause it's like life is closing in on you. Mm-hmm. Nervous, breakdown is imminent or or in progress but right. this this time i mean fiona apple's got this added romantic component that steely dan uh just doesn't have like, yeah it's not yeah. on them yeah it's funny like yeah they share like a, they share a bleak worldview but like steely dan goes to this like dry cynical mm-hmm. removed uh t- you know cooler than thou which maybe she wants to do but like she's just got that 
that glimmer of uh like the need to let go and 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 to be swept up in these big romances yeah and i think to her credit she's she's self-aware i mean Mm. it's like yeah you can see this and i I could see like again like i love listening to her records i could see this being a very frustrating person to be in a relationship with to live with she has a great line in one of her (laughs) songs i don't even know what run of i don't even know what record it is but there's there's some line that she has it might be in one of the newer ones this uh, line about like i can have I can have somebody in my world. I can have somebody in my bed, but I can't have somebody in my house. Like I can, or I can live with you in my world. I could live with you in my bed, but I can't live with you in my house. It's just like, it strikes me as like shockingly self-aware, but you know, then the next thing is like, well, if you're that aware of it, like <laughs> why can't, can't you do something about it? I mean, good for you for recognizing it and owning up to it, but like, it would be cool if you could work on it. But like, I don't know, maybe I, I just say like, sorry to all of her boyfriends and significant others and and thank you f- to them for putting up with or going through that so that we can get these records because um uh, the, uh, uh, although from the songs they don't sound like winners either <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah and then like i mean if you haven't listened to the most recent one that came out i think in, in 2015 the idler wheel mm-hmm Good Lord. I mean, that's just like her at the peak of her game, which is to say like that album is harrowing. Like yeah. listening to that, it's like just buckle up and like make sure you're not like trying to be productive that day. I don't I don't know if I have the guts for it. Yeah, it's like totally <laughs> it's like totally stripped down, like get rid of all the um you know, all the the um the production gugaws, gigaws and stuff and like just let her do her thing and like it's just and it's like just pure unvarnished like a lot of the clever world wordplay has gone away like still great lyrics but like a lot of the like, sort of like intricately structured um uh stuff gone and just just her like pouring her heart out it does it does something i i think about anytime something's like really produced is like do the song survive without it right and i think i mean she's such a good songwriter that only knowing this album I've, I've not listened to any anything else of hers other yeah. than you know maybe some stray tracks here and there right um like you could take all the all the john bryan stuff away and it would still i think work really well although and i do think that that stuff does enhance it yeah it's not just like flash yeah um i mean this song is what like five and a half minutes long five minutes long something yeah it's a long cut but i mean at the three and a half minute mark it it ends and then there's yeah. this outro that's like just crazy like i'm gonna say dark circus music but yeah. not like insane clown posse dark circus no but it's um, just like yeah i was gonna say like there's a calliope i'm pretty sure it's a calliope yeah yeah which is i mean it's john very john bryan uh wanking but um i think it it brings the song to a nice nice close and lets you know what you're in for with the rest of the album yeah it does set the table um. Yeah, I don't know any any other uh, uh, any other thoughts on the on the rest of the album. Um, I do think it kind of like at least like I didn't like deep dive into it to like make sure I could speak authoritatively, but like putting it on a couple of times in preparation to this, I do think it kind of like peters out. It beca- it's like a little one note, and like the back of the album doesn't isn't quite as punchy as the front. Um, I I th- I mean I listened to it just like three times maybe, and yeah. it, it, you know as much as I appreciated what it's doing, I I don't know after this if I'm gonna have her in my regular rotation of artists that i listen to but um i think there are solid songs throughout um i really like limp yes Um, limp was like my runner-up for like the song i was picking for this podcast and uh paper bag that's maybe my favorite one and the music video for that i think is an all-timer um yeah and paper bag i might have picked except i knew that it sounded so different than Mm -hmm. um uh 
fire in the hole but yeah yeah paper bag is probably i think like paper bag is like the age of the album it's like objectively the best song on the album yeah. but it's not the one i want to hear all the time yeah there's a lot going on in that song and that's one that i could see myself listening to uh, more in the future yeah. i also really like um i think it's called just a mistake i'm gonna make a mistake i'm yeah. gonna do it on purpose um i i like that the last listen i had that that really uh stuck out to me because yeah. who can't relate to that like just like <laughs> Let me let me just fuck something up. <laughs> oh yeah, and see, like I'm such a sucker. Like I love like off of the first album. They had, she has this song called "Slow Like Honey" and mm-hmm. heavy, like slow like honey and heavy with mood. Which like, good lord. Um, and then on this one, "Love Ridden," which is just like slow and which, sad. Which one's "Love Ridden"? Is it, it track four? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's just yeah. like yeah, it's it's like it's just real quiet the whole time, mm-hmm. and it's just like in the depths of like the blues, you know. Yeah, that that's like the the proof track for anybody who thinks that the all the production work is right is, is necessary right, you to have to have one no. of those to be like hey listen i can do this raw and stripped down and uh, the song will still have an enormous amount of power yeah well and just like every painful breakup that i've been through like comes flooding back to my mind with the line um uh the um, the chorus of that is just so writerly it's um if i need you i'll just use your symbol Only kisses on the cheek from now on And in a little while Only have to wait Every time, like every emotional scar I have from a relationship just ripped open again every time I hear that song. The listeners can't see that you're crying. It's <laughs> <laughs> streaming down my face. Uh, and, yeah. even, and if he was, there would be nothing wrong with that, folks. <laughs> crying is good. It's healthy. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Fiona Apple. What can I say? Give it a listen. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's talk n- French. French films. Yeah. Once again, I've picked a two and a half hour <laughs> behemoth of a behemoth of a movie. Um, I don't know if this will be easy for people to find or not. I've I found a used copy at my uh, um, at Second and Charles. I, I don't know if I want to plug them or not, but you know, you can you can find some some gems in there. If you really dig. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kings and Queens uh, by Arnaud Desplechin. Desplechin? I don't know. Desplechin. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's our, Scott's our resident French expert. <laughs> I was told, I was never a very good student, but I was told my accent was good. Yeah. Um, this movie, this is the only film of his that I've seen. I've been interested in checking out his work for a while because I think the hook for me, what I heard about him, um, is that his movies are um, digressive. <laughs> a lot happens. The tones shift all the time. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> That's my shit. Yeah. Um, this is uh, kind of two um, intersecting tracks going at once. Yep. Um, it's a it's a movie that jams a lot in in two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say... Uh, you could call it novelistic, right? Like that's a that's a fair Very fair, yeah. fair way to put it. Yep. Um, one story is this woman Nora, who uh, like runs an art gallery. She's in her maybe mid thirties. Um, she's got a son who she says is the most important thing in her life. And as the movie goes on, we realize the the father of that son died under tragic circumstances, um, and basically she had to like fight to to have this um 
son have this son recognized as having a father um right uh but just like weird bureaucratic thing yeah because he died (laughs) because he died before they were married and yeah yeah um but in, so she has this like ten year old son. I, I read some somewhere somebody said he has he, he's autistic. Um, I didn't get that from the movie. Yeah, I, I mean he's I didn't he's, pick up on that if that's true. Yeah. They say he's like kind of a withdrawn and uh, like strangely mature child. I, um, but I don't I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't know. You can that's ambiguous. But anyways, uh, she, as an American viewer of a French film that didn't pop out to me, yeah, maybe it's yeah. much clearer if you're French. I don't know. Yeah, um, but she she's going to visit her father, who's uh, like a professor of classics or something. Mm-hmm. She she has gotten him a um, uh, she found him a print of Leda and the Swan, uh, the story of Leda and the Swan um, from Greek mythology, um, which is a weird thing for a, a daughter to be giving her father, right? Um, and she gets there and her dad is sick and at first she kind of wants to ignore that or she's like, you know, he's, he'll be fine. And then it quickly becomes clear that he's going to be dead very soon. Right. Um, so she has to deal with that. Um, the parallel story or not parallel because they, they crash into each other is, uh, this, uh, her ex-husband, um, Ismail, Ismail, yeah. Uh, played by uh, Matthew Almerick, which he's he's popped up in some American mm-hmm. films. Uh, he's he's in Grand Budapest Hotel. He was in Quantum of Solace. Uh, the di- <laughs> oh, that's right, he was. He was like the big bad, or like one of the bad guys. I, I didn't see it. I'm, I, I haven't <laughs> kept up with my Bond stuff. Um, well, especially like, and if you were going to skip one, it could be Quantum of Solace. That's for sure. that's what I've heard. <laughs> um, he was in Munich. Um, yeah. Uh, the Wolf Hall miniseries. These are just like the things that I wrote down. I was like, maybe people have seen this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but he's uh, he's a musician, and we are introduced to him as he is about to be basically bagged and, <laughs> and thrown into a mental institution. Yeah. Um, and uh, he he gets locked up and has to struggle through a bunch of red tape to kind of get out. Um and the the like Nora's story is heavy, right? And his story is more like kind of goofy with like kind of a surreal sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like slapsticky even. And the the strands kind of meet because um, Nora uh, realizes if she were to die now that her her father is is passing, um, her son would be left with no one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ismail helped raise her son for seven years, so she wants him to adopt her son. Right. Um, that feels like only scratching the surface of like what happens in this movie because it it's at every opportunity that it gets, it's like let's kind of like take a weird look at like these characters. Like let's let's see how uh, Ismail interacts with his. Uh, lawyer right. who's like an insane like drug addicted uh, yeah it's almost um hyper competent um right uh, i say it, it's almost represent uh, like reminiscent of um fear and loathing yeah yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like dr yeah dr gonzo and um or uh there will be like uh flashbacks there's a dream sequence where nora talks to her dead uh the dead father of her son mm-hmm. um there's extended monologues it's it's 
There's a breakdancing sequence that comes out of fucking nowhere. I was going to say, yeah, he has several unusual relationships with folks at the uh, uh, at the uh, uh, institution. Yeah, and you, you think, like, some of this stuff will just... You can't tell what's going to be a digression and what's going to come back later. Right. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I Like I said, I originally picked it because it was going to be, like, you know, that theme of insanity. Right. Um, but I think, I think it fits because there is something, um, I mean, their lives are boiling over two, (laughs) two lives boiling over. Um, and, uh, there's something jazzy about the rhythms of it. I I even read an interview of, uh, with the director where he, he says as much like, uh, both in how he works with his actors is influenced by jazz because he, he has a script, but he lets them find, different approaches and kind of improvise on themes right and in the in the editing um yep i don't know what you what you make it we sat and watched this one together yeah um yeah the first uh first joint viewing that uh that we had um uh it was one of those it's like it was one of those movies that like i was um I was very taken in with it as I was watching it, but then like when it was over, I was like, "Man, I don't know. I really don't like have much of an idea about what I just watched." Like, I mean, like I feel like I tracked with the plot of it, but I was like, um, "I didn't really get it." Although, I mean, I guess I realized. I mean, like what I, I mean, what I know now, and I don't know how much it sunk in right away. And I, I did a, a fair amount of like reading about it after uh, we watched it. Is that there is this like sort of like, it's like not quite a plot twist, but it's almost a plot twist. Um, uh, you know, like two thirds of the way through the movie. Um, are which, you talking about the letter? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, and, and and I guess it's like that singular thing. But I mean, it does seem like the first two thirds of the movie are setting up because it's like like you're saying, like even in the pacing of the movie, that like every shot of her is like if not locked down, it's a very smooth, slow, steady camera movement, and like a lot of the stuff with um with Ismail is like handheld or just you know like very frenetic, very or at mm. least kinetic. Um, and it's like the whole movie is telling you that like, she's got her stuff together. She's a responsible person. He's like a mess. He's all over the place. He's out of control. Uh, and then there's this reveal, um, when she finds this letter, um, uh, this is a spoiler, but I don't know how we can talk about the movie without talking about it. So if you're a listener and you, yeah, (laughs) if you don't want to be spoiled, jump ahead 10 minutes. Although it's not like, but that's what I mean. It's it, it's not like a Shyamalan thing. It's yeah. Um, but it is. I mean, it's a thing that the movie. I mean, it, it is. I I think it's clear. Like th- there's like clear author intent that you're concealing this about this person, and then you're revealing yeah. it for dramatic effect. Uh, uh, yeah. The the letter to me is like. Well, I'll I'll let you cue it up, and I'll. I'll uh... <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it's, but it, I mean, the problem is I don't have like a strong memory of exactly what the letter is, but it is like her father, like telling her off. Yeah. Her, her, her father dies. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, it's clear in the movie that he's going to die. Um, but he leaves her, he's a writer and, uh, and he's prepared a book. Right. And he kind of in the tucked away in the back of the book is this letter and it, it cuts to like old timey film footage of him reading this letter. Right. Um, from beyond the grave or whatever, but it's, um, um, he basically says like, you're a monster. Like I, I can't convey how, like, it's a, such a gut punch. Like he's like, you're vain. Yeah. Um, 
basically reframing the competence that we've seen her display, like the insane competence and right. like willpower we've seen her exert the whole movie, mm-hmm. reframing it as like um, yeah, a father's disgust at creating such an um, unstoppable, unfeeling creature. Right. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. One of my favorite things that a movie or any work of art can do is like, something in the structure shifts and your perspective on a character changes. Right. And this one was especially resonant to me because I was so in awe of her as a character. Right. um, As I usually am in life with people like that. And she reminded me of somebody that I know. Yeah. And much like in life, uh, what I've realized about people like that is like there's something unnatural about it. It's you shouldn't have that much willpower and that much strength. Yeah. Um, and I, it's not the movie, I don't think, turns her into a monster. No. Um, because we see her reaction to this and her like shame. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it really like that's I watched the movie twice in like two weeks, which for a two and a half hour movie um, is uh, rare for me. Yeah, no kidding. Or for any movie is it's rare for me to need to go back. But that like that letter was just like shit, I've got to reassess everything, you know? Right. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's like, it is it's like it is a very cool bit of storytelling to, like, show you a bunch of stuff and then not negate it, but, like, give you a piece of information that recontextualizes it. Like, that stuff's all true. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, she was super nice, and her dad was like, yeah, but secretly you're an asshole. It's like, no, that stuff is all true, but, like, your motivations and everything else are, like, suspect. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I mean, it's sh- like that scene is shocking. Yeah. It's, it really I mean, it's is. weird. Like, not, I mean, you're, it's visually, it's unusual, but the, not visually shocking. But, like, the, yeah, the, the narrative import of that is like, holy crap. <laughs> and, and the letter itself is beautifully written. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's something, uh, it's really something. Yeah. Um, I feel like I haven't conveyed, the feeling of this like it sounds from the description it sounds crazy but like Mm -hmm. and it is a crazy movie but it's very grounded and and relatively realistic although there are these kind of surreal flights in it um yeah i mean like i was gonna say like (laughs) i'm almost hesitant to say this because like i'm not super familiar with french film like i haven't seen a ton of french films but the small sampling that i've had like this shares a quality with a lot of french film that i've seen of like it's like it's kind of like cool and understated mm. um sort of breezy like the, in terms of like i don't know like the camera movement and stuff um yeah. I, like they always strike me as having this like attitude that like you know i mean shockingly like if i think about french people i think of them as having this attitude you know like yeah. think of like a parisian person it's like the you know the french cinema that i've seen sort of like embodies that spirit yeah, it's it's like a movie that deals with a lot of heavy stuff, but I like that you said breezy because it it yeah. um I think it works as entertainment. Like it's yeah. it's I mean it's like a whole season of TV crammed into one two and a half hour frame. Yeah. Um it, yeah, and the the director and the interviews that I've read, I mean he's super um he has like a very democratic view of film and like he doesn't want to like he references, you know, Greek mythology and poetry and stuff, but in the film, but like he wants it to be a movie that anybody can watch and get something out of. And I think it is right. Um, like a good Simpsons episode. If you get the reference, you're going to think it's really funny, but if you don't get the references, it's still funny. Yeah. I, this is, if people have been following along and watching stuff with us, uh, 
as we've as we've uh, wound through the the songs um this to me and tell me if this makes sense to you is like the perfect mix between that most important thing love and duets <laughs> <laughs> duets is not the second thing i thought you were gonna say uh but yeah let me sit with that for a second uh, there is a scene that's a lot like duets in this movie Ooh, which one uh when the store gets robbed Oh yeah, yeah. Fair. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. No. Now you're right. Yeah. No. I'm, no. I'm totally saying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's the intersection. It's halfway between. It's it's like melodrama and anything goes. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that that uh, that comparison clicked in my head, and I was yeah, like, I like it. This is why I like this movie so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. Like that, like that scene seems like almost like from a different movie. The pharmacy. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean there are a lot of scenes in the movies yeah. that seem like they should be in a different movie. Yeah, yeah. I will say on second viewing, it clicked more into place. Like some of the like, there's this weird thing where um, uh, Ismail's parents are going to adopt his cousin, right. who's this character we've kind of seen in the periphery, kind of a goofy guy not really sure what's going on with them mm. and i was like why are they pausing the movie to debate about this and then i was like oh adoption the adoption is literally one of the biggest themes of the movie right but the way they do it it's um it's not unless you're kind of thinking about it it's not clear how all these threads kind of lock in yeah um yeah and there's like a whole subplot with his sister that we haven't even mentioned oh yeah that's yeah. right um yeah. Yeah, because he he's been put in the mental hospital, and it's unclear who put him in there. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot going yeah. on in this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, or like, and we yeah, we, the other like uh, very significant plot is uh, that we haven't mentioned is like her current um, uh, beau. You know? Oh yeah, Nora Nora is is getting married to this guy who's rich. Yeah. She doesn't love him. She says that directly. Like it's like not a <laughs> passionate thing, but he provides for her. He's stable, and uh, and he kind of knows that. It seems like like that's the. It seems the, like he loves her. Oh, he he loves her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. But he understands that. Like, all right, her son's at the middle of her life, and she's kind of doing her own thing. Um, yeah, it's funny. As much as he loves her, like he's like a successful businessman of some type, and it does seem like he's coming at this as like sort of like a <laughs> yeah. He may maybe has some sort of criminal aspect to him too, because um, at one point uh, Ismail calls him her gangster or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and there is there another thing that this movie does that I love is there are just like these little things that happen, and you're like. These little details that you're like, realize it really feels like you're just watching excerpts of people's lives. And right. you're like, wait, I want to know more about that. Like at one point she says um, she describes their sex life mm-hmm. and uh, that he's kind of quick. And then she she says something like, he's, we sometimes snort heroin on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, what? Like these responsible adults are snorting right. heroin on the weekends? There's just shit like that in the yeah. movie where I'm like, I want to know more about what's going on with that character, yeah. or like what what's the story here? Right. Um, and I like that that stuff's just open, and he puts it out there, and it's like you can think about this or not, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, Ismail's dad. 
um, like in this robbery scene, right. his dad just very calmly disarms like these three robbers. And we've seen his dad throughout the movie, and he just seems like this like happy, well-adjusted man. Mm-hmm. Um, his parents like are visiting him in the mental hospital, and they're just kind of like um, totally accepting of the situation. And uh, yeah, they come across as like sweet, like middle to upper middle class, like but like work for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like suburbs. It would be easy, like in an in a lesser movie for his parents to like freak out when he gets put in the mental hospital right. or like, but they just, they seem like really great people. And that's like, well, I'm not used to seeing this in a movie. Like, right. Just like this guy has great parents and a great family, except for his sister. Right. Who's weird. Um, but yeah, that, I don't, I don't know. That's, I just, that's what I, I, I love wild shifts in tone. Right. Um, weird digressive plots. And then, like the the that uh, shift in uh, how you view a character, where you're like, I've got to reassess everything. Like this movie has three of my favorite things. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's very cool. Yeah. And I would, like I was like um um Matthew. We said this a little bit up top, but Matthew Almerick is he's one of those guys. He's like he's like a, he's a that guy. Yeah. Where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy. I don't. Very, I, very I don't know distinctive. His, yeah. I don't know his name, but I've seen him. And he's a, it, he's a delight. Like mm. he's a very dynamic performer. He sort of captures your attention. Yeah. And the the movie ends with him doing a 10-minute monologue with Nora's son. Right. Um, and it's a, a just a really, like, sweet and tender scene to kind of go out on. Um, yeah. He's – yeah, he – he. I mean, both the main performers in this movie have, like, very dynamic, yeah. um, incredible performances. Yeah, as I say, to, to take nothing away uh, from Emmanuel DeVoe because, like, she does a great job, but it's just, like, the character that she's playing is kind of, like, this, like, stoic – buttoned-up mm-hmm. person, so it's, you know, it's not as, like, eye-catching, but it is a commanding performance. And when that, that facade cracks up, it's really affecting. Like, yeah. when, when she kind of uh, collapses in exhaustion or, or finally lets some emotions uh, come out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the one thing that I read, which helped me contextualize the movie a lot, was somebody said, like, it's a movie that's built around three monologues. There's the opening monologue that she delivers. Mm-hmm. There's then two-thirds of the way the, the letter that her dad delivers, and then the last one yeah that uh ismail delivers yeah yeah that's that's uh yeah in the show notes i'll link this um reverse shot interview with the director because it 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 really um kind of demystified the direction process for me Mm -hmm. and kind of his I, i really like his uh democratic attitude about film yeah but he also you realize his frame of reference because you said Shyamalan earlier. Right. He he uh, references Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, Mystic River, Shyamalan's Unbreakable. <laughs> he mentions that 70s show. Right on. <laughs> like as like <laughs> things that are good and have in, influenced him somewhat. It's 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 uh, he's an interesting guy. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing more of his stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Roi et Kings and Queen. Right on. Yeah. Um, Scott? Yeah. I was uh, just wondering um, if, in the since we last spoke, if uh, anything has been uh, good for you. (laughs) In your life. 
have you had occasion to come across something that is good? Yeah, I did. I had a couple of things. Um, this is probably not super helpful as like a tip to listeners, but in the in the case that um, uh, this is, uh, so last night actually, just last night, I went and saw Flying Lotus at the National, mm-hmm. um, and he's doing this very cool show. Because um, uh, I don't know if you, for folks who don't know, Flying Lotus is a producer um, who's released several albums. Um, he's done a bunch of work with other artists, but like he's released several solo albums that are you know electronic music. My the, the best way I can describe Flying Lotus, like the highest percentage shot of like you going, oh, that's who it is, is. Um, if you ever watched Adult Swim on comedy uh, on Cartoon Network, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but for many many years, especially when Adult Swim was new, the bumper music or the interstitial music, like the music between shows, was always Flying Lotus. Um, or uh, somebody uh, described him in a write up one time as um, uh, a composer of audio brain freezes for hip. Uh, graphic designers hmm. um, but I've been a big fan of his um, for uh, since Cosmo when Cosmogramma came out is when I became aware of him which was his third album from know, a few years ago um, he just released a new album uh, maybe a couple months ago called Flamagra um, and he's on tour and, and because he's just a, a, a producer of electronic music he's like up there and he's you know he's doing stuff live he's like mixing stuff live but um, what he's done is he's got this huge video wall behind him and they get they hand out 3d glasses uh before the show uh, and he's got these like crazy visualizations um uh he actually he made a um a feature film um but it's like supposed to be like bizarrely gross and offensive mm. um it's up uh, uh my buddy who's like a big horror fan said it's up on the um the streaming service shutter which is like dedicated to horror stuff yeah. and he's like i would never watch it by myself but if you want to watch it with me <laughs> we can watch it um uh, but anyway, it was a very cool experience like if you like flying lotus and you have the opportunity to see th- this tour i would recommend and it was like 25 bucks it was like not an expensive ticket um uh, but it was super cool. And then if you're not familiar with Flying Lotus, please listen to the uh, the, the music of Flying Lotus. Um, uh, but as I said, that's kind of a low percentage shot because I don't know how much longer his tour is going on. So uh, the other thing is uh, I have powered all the way through uh, the Amazon Prime show, The Boys, okay, uh, based on the graphic novel by Garth Ennis. Um, and I found it uh, incredibly dark and disturbing, uh, but very well executed and like... It's interesting because, like, the comic book, I think, at least started in 2005, and they have updated it so that, like, the story is occurring, like, in the present moment. And, like, the difference of, like, what they had to do to update it, like, works, like, it, it has only become, like, more relevant uh, from, like, when the comic book started coming out to when the show coming out. And, like, uh, the, the guy who plays um, the lead um, Homelander, who's, like, a analog for uh, Captain America, gives, I think, a, a commanding performance. Um, so yeah, uh, if you have the Amazon Prime service, check out the boys. Mm. I I want to vouch for your uh, Flying Lotus fandom because I um, I do have I know that this is not a false memory. Uh, I remember at camp one year, like it was like kind of people were going to bed and stuff, and I think maybe you had brought absinthe. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did bring absinthe. Yeah, and uh, like there was kind of just uh, you. I think you had. Rain, uh, control over the uh, music in the main hall and there were only a few people around and you were playing um, some stuff off of Cosmogramma and uh, like like jumping in the air and like doing pull-ups on the <laughs> on the rafters of this like camp house like I I have a strong memory of that so it's exceedingly possible watch out if it's late at night and I'm drinking absinthe yeah. <laughs> and, and flying lotus is on yeah it God was pretty I was like oh Scott's Scott's a secret freak <laughs> 
<laughs> it takes absence absinthe to to unlock that that uh, part of me. But yeah, it, it comes up from time to time. Yeah. Um, but as long as we're on the subject, uh, Joe, um, in your uh, uh, travels, in your uh, uh, pilgrimage through this uh, trip that we call uh, life, yeah. uh, anything <laughs> recently uh, cross your path that you would call uh, in any way good? Yes. Uh, well, it's been. Um, like a month or so since we last talked it's true. And a lot i've seen a lot that i some stuff that i hope to talk about here uh in the context of the steely dan show but since we last met um david berman of the silver jews oh it's true yeah. uh uh took his own life um and his music when i was in college uh, was super important to me yeah. so i went back and listened to some of his stuff again um Unlike his sister band, Pavement, uh, who I I can listen to every now and then, but doesn't doesn't really do it for me anymore. Like I found um, his songwriting still very effective. I think he was like important for me because he like uh, he helped me kind of realize like you don't have to surrender your weird sense of humor and like skewed view of the world to be authentic and um and like spiritual in a way right um so if people haven't listened to uh the silver jews before um uh starlight walker um is an early one that's kind of more of a more of a goof off a little bit but there's some great stuff on there um, American Water is probably the one to start with. That he, um, Stephen Malcolmus from from uh, Pavement plays on that one, and it's I think the one that hooks a lot of people. And then my favorite one is uh, the Natural Bridge, which uh, remains as like mysterious and kind of profound to me now as it did when I first heard it. Um, he has a new album out uh, under the name Purple Mountains that I only listened to once before he died, and. It's a lot of like kind of up, weirdly upbeat country songs about depression. Hmm. Um, I feel like calling it that sounds almost dismissive. Um, it's great, but uh, the depression is so palpable that yeah. <laughs> having the guy uh, just ki- uh, the guy just killed himself. Um, it's hard to go back to. Right. I've, I've gone back to certain songs and they're they're fantastic, but uh, it's a it's could be a tough listen. But the earlier stuff, there's a lot of uh, joy in it. Um, along with a lot of sadness. So. But he's he's also a poet, yeah. and his book of poetry, um, you know, I'm not a great reader of poetry, but is maybe the only one that I've gone back to a lot of times. So I thought if we can take a moment, I oh, would yeah. read a poem from this in, in tribute to David Berman, since I only have one platform to really do this. I yeah, hell I'd yeah. Do it here. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, so this is from his collection, Actual Air, which is... Um, which is fantastic, and I'm going to read The Charm of 530. Yeah. It's too nice a day to read a novel set in England. We're within inches of the perfect distance from the sun. The sky is blueberries and cream, and the wind is as warm as air from a tire. Even the headstones in the graveyard seem to stand up and say, Hello, my name is... It's enough to be sitting here on my porch thinking about Kermit Roosevelt, following the course of an ant, or walking out into the yard with a cordless phone to find out she is going to be there tonight. On a day like today, what looks like bad news in the distance turns out to be something on my contact, 
Carports and white courtesy phones are spontaneously reappreciated, and random okays ring through the backyards. This morning I discovered the red Tencent Cola when I held a glass of it up to the light and found an expensive flashlight in the pocket of a winter coat I was packing away for summer. It all reminds me of that moment when you take off your sunglasses after a long drive and realize it's earlier and lighter out than you had accounted for. You know what I'm talking about. And that's the kind of fellowship that's taken place in town, out in the public spaces. You won't overhear anyone using the words dramaturgy or state inspection today. We're too busy getting along. It occurs to me that the laws are in the regions, and the regions are in the laws, and it feels good to say this, something that I'm almost sure is true, outside under the sun. Then to say it again around friends in the resonant voice of a 19th century senator, just for a lark. There's a shy-looking fellow on the courthouse steps holding up a placard that says, But I kind of liked Reagan. His head turns slowly as a beautiful girl walks by, holding a refrigerated bottle up against her flushed cheek. She smiles at me and I allow myself to imagine her walking into town to buy lotion at a brick pharmacy. Then she, when she gets home, she'll apply it with great lingering care before moving into her parlor to play 78 records and drink gin and tonics beside her homemade altar to James Madison. In a town of this size, it's certainly possible that I'll be invited over one night. In fact, I'll bet you something. Somewhere in the future, I am remembering today. I bet you I'm remembering how I walked into the park at 5.30, my favorite time of day, and how I found two cold pitchers of just poured beer sitting there on a bench, on the bench. I'm remembering how my friend Chip showed up with a catcher's mask hanging from his belt and how I said, Great to see you. Sit down. Have a beer. How are you? and how he turned to me with the sunset reflecting off his contacts and said, Wonderful. How are you? That's the charm of 5.30, folks. Damn, that's real good. Yeah. That's poetry if I've ever heard it. Yeah. So, let's talk about next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, next week we'll be talking about uh, track... uh, Why am I so bad at this? Track 8. Yeah. Off of Can't Buy a Thrill. Uh, once again, uh, we return to our uh, our most favoriteest member of Steely Dan, David Palmer. David Palmer, uh, step into our office one more time. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, Brooklyn. Open parenthesis, owes the charmer under me. Close parenthesis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you want me to go first? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and declare that I am like nearly punting this week. Uh, I've I have, like, as Joe said, it's been almost a month, or it's been around a month since the last time we got together. And in that whole time, I have been trying to think of something of this. It's not that I uh, procrastinated. I just, I can't think of anything that I think is a great fit. Um, so I'm going to pick something that I think might be a fit, but if it's not, don't hold me to it because I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, so I'm mostly using this as an excuse to rewatch it. Uh, but my pick uh, is the, uh, I think it's from 2000, double checking, almost positive. Uh, it is. It is uh, uh, from 2000. Um, the uh, can I guess what you're gonna say? Uh, sure. Is it Finding Forrester? No. <laughs> okay. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, not that quite. I I'm a little worried you're gonna be disappointed in me, but I'm not that worried. If I if I had picked Finding Forrester, I'd be Scott. Deeply... You you can never disappoint <laughs> me. That's that is a great relief to hear. Uh, no. 2000. The uh, uh, I think the little scene. Although a few people have talked about it, but like the little scene 2000 Donald Logue vehicle. The Tao of Steve. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a movie I've uh, never seen, but I remember uh, 
being interested in seeing uh, for sure. Yeah, I've been like trying to come up with a movie about a guy that is cool. Uh, or like, you know, like the idea of the movie is that this guy is thought of as cool by somebody. Yeah. Uh, and this is the best I got. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it once and enjoyed it at the time. So I don't think you're in for like misery. Um, I, 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 it's not going to be as interesting as duets, but uh, I, I I feel like it's it's in that category of duets where it's like a movie that I read about in Entertainment Weekly in 2000, like the not the main review, like in the off to the side. So yeah, yeah. it's in that compartment filing cabinet in my brain. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. I went with a Brooklyn story um, okay. from the early 70s, uh, 1970 to be exact, um, from the director of Harold and Maude and uh, The Last Detail. It's uh, starring Bo Bridges, The Landlord, the uh, okay. gentrification uh, comedy about uh, Park Slope before it was Park Slope that we know today. Right on. Okay. Uh, I actually know nothing of this film, uh, but uh, having seen The Last Detail, criminally, I've never seen Harold and Maude. Uh, but having seen the last detail uh, and enjoyed it uh, quite a bit, I'm, I'm excited. The, the, the last detail is better than Harold. <laughs> That's okay. what they don't tell you in school. Well, if you give me a choice, I'm always going to pick the one with Jack Nicholson, especially Jack Nicholson in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the landlord. Cool. Good deal. Uh, well, then there's only one thing left to do before we uh, release you back into the wild, um, and that is to uh, check in with uh, uh, the, the constant, uh, the accurate. The illustrious. The chronicler. Uh, uh, the man on the ones and twos. Uh, Dakota, what did you learn about Steely Dan this week? Hmm. Um, I learned that a piano is a valid rock and roll instrument. Agreed. A good thing for a budding pianist to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a bias going on here. It's yeah. true. Uh, cool. All right. uh, well, then, uh, uh, signing off until next time. Good, good night, good listeners. Night. <laughs> See you. <laughs>